Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, you can grab a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And in case you use one of our Pew Bibles, uh, you can find that on page 869. While you're finding your place, a, a recent development in our society that is increasingly being reported on is how busy Americans are today. We're busy. In, in contrast to previous generations, modern Americans tend to feel unbalanced, uh, overcommitted, and, and overwhelmed by everything they have to do. And certainly there is a lot that we have to do. We have to go to work, have to take care of our family, have to go to the store, and there, there's housework and, and maintenance that needs to be done, and we need to make time for church for doing it right. We have to get the kids to all their extracurricular activities. We have doctor's appointments, and we need to exercise. And of course, at some point, in the midst of all this, we have to find time to eat and sleep. And when you factor in that technology now enables, or perhaps forces us, to stay connected to everything all the time, it's no wonder that, that many people feel completely exhausted. In fact, it's gotten to the point, you've probably seen this yourself, or one of the most common responses to the question, how are you doing? Well, staying busy. Right? That, that's come to de define our lives. And of course, being busy and being productive are not necessarily the same thing, but that's an entirely different conversation. The point is that most of us feel overwhelmed by everything we have to get done in our lives. But this morning, we're going to be reminded of the danger of being so busy that we neglect the one thing that really matters. And so we're in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So last week, Jesus was confronted by a lawyer, an Old Testament scholar, who, who challenged Jesus and asked him what he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, an effort to draw this lawyer out of his, self, his sense of self-righteousness and into a relationship with him. And now as we pick the story up again in verse 38, Jesus continues his journey to Jerusalem, which is what he's doing at this stage of the story. And as he does, he comes to a village and is welcomed into the house of a woman named Martha and her sister Mary. Now, this is the first time that Luke has mentioned Martha and Mary in the story, but we know from the Gospel of John that, that Jesus actually has a long-standing and very dear uh, relationship with them. Uh, Martha and Mary live in the village of Bethany, some of you may remember uh, that they are the sisters of a man named Lazarus, who Jesus famously raised from the dead in John chapter 11. And so this is not the first time they've met. Martha and Mary and Lazarus are actually some of Jesus' closest friends. But Luke's focus here has nothing to do with Lazarus or their established friendship. Instead, he's interested in what happens on this particular occasion. 
Luke sets the scene for us at the end of verse 39 when he tells us that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And that's significant because to sit at the feet of a teacher in, in the ancient world was the position and the posture of a disciple. And as we've discussed before, it would have been unheard of and possibly even scandalous for a woman to be included as a disciple of the rabbi in an ancient world. Right, women were thought to be intellectually incapable of receiving formal education, and typically a woman putting herself in the midst of a group of men would have her motivations questioned. Like, what are you up to here? What are you doing? But Jesus doesn't brush Mary off. As countercultural as it was, he welcomes her into the group, and he allows her to learn from him as a true disciple. And so Jesus shows us that, that biblical study and discipleship is not just something for men. Right? Ladies, we want you to pursue theological formation in your lives. But as radical and as important as this was, it's still not the main focus of the story. Right? The, the issue here isn't the problem of Mary learning from Jesus as such. Uh, the problem is what that means for Martha, which we're going to see as we pick up again, beginning in verse 40. Luke writes, But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So picking up in verse 40, we come to the conflict in the story. As Mary is, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching, Martha is slaving away, playing the role of hostess. Right? And so Luke says that Martha was distracted. She's being pulled in multiple different directions at the same time with much serving. Right, not just serving, but much serving. Right? There's a lot to do. If you think about it, Jesus is here, but it's not just Jesus that the 12 apostles would be with him, and, and very likely a larger group of disciples as well who've been traveling with him. And so this is a big crowd. Right? And as the hostess, Martha is busy trying to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Right? We've talked in, in, in the past about the fact that hospitality was a very important quality in the ancient world, and it still is today, even, in, in the, the, those parts of the world. And so taking care of your guests was a matter of honor or shame. And so all of these people are over for dinner, and Martha is checking to see who needs a refill, and she's making sure that everybody got some dessert, and she's also trying to clean up a little bit while making sure that all of the kids are behaving themselves. And all the while, Mary is just sitting there listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and the nature of discipleship. And so gradually, Martha becomes frustrated, and it gets to a point where she actually interrupts Jesus as he's teaching. And she says, Lord, doesn't it bother you that I'm doing all this work by myself while my sister just sits there listening to, her, to you? Please tell her to get up and come help me. Now, this was a, was a bold outburst. Is definitely a breach of etiquette. But in response, Jesus says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Very lovingly, and also firmly, Jesus explains to Martha that, that he sees the fact that she's stressed out and overwhelmed with many things, but he emphasizes that only one thing is truly important. And he doesn't specify what that one thing is, but he goes on to commend Mary for choosing the good portion, which indicates that the one thing that is necessary is being with him and listening to his teaching. Now, there are a couple of details I want to touch on just briefly. First of all, the sense of the word good here, with the good portion, is actually that what Mary has chosen is better. It's not just that it's good, but that it is better. And it's important for us to note that, because we need to be clear that the work Martha is doing here is not wrong or or bad in any way. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's just not nearly as important as being with Jesus and being shaped by him. Then secondly, that the word portion itself carries a number of different nuances throughout the Bible, depending on the context. Uh, It can refer to an inheritance that someone receives. It can refer to the share of profits uh, that a person gets for participating in business or in war. Or it can also refer to something that a person chooses for themselves out of a a larger set of options. And and in the, the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, the Lord is often said to be the portion of his people. In other words, at their best, what God's people want more than anything else is simply him. And we'll we'll read things like, the the Lord is my portion forever. What I want more than anything else is God himself. And here we see that in choosing between fulfilling cultural expectations— or, or being with Jesus, Mary has chosen the Lord as her portion, which is the better portion between the two. And so she recognizes that what Jesus has to offer her is way more important than anything that she has to offer Jesus. And she acts accordingly. Right? The, the, the dishes can wait. We can do that tomorrow. But right now, Jesus is here, and I want to spend my time with him. So Jesus insists that Mary has made the right choice, and he is not going to take that away from her. So in our our passage this morning, Jesus redirects Martha's focus away from her busyness toward listening to him. And as usual, Luke doesn't tell us what happened, right? Does, Does Martha drop what she's doing now to sit down and listen to Jesus, or does she does she storm off in anger? Well, we don't know, and as usual, I think that's because the point is not what happened with Martha, right? The point is what's going to happen with us as we respond to this story. Uh, this is not a, a long passage, it's a very short story. There's not a whole lot to explain in terms of, of the text itself, but I think there is a lot for us to reflect on in terms of what this passage means for our lives and how it should apply to our lives today. And so as I was studying and, and preparing for the sermon all week, I was reminded of something that is very basic, nothing that you haven't heard many times before, but, but something that is also profoundly reorienting into the way that we approach life, particularly in light of how often we forget it. And, and the idea is simply that we were created to know God. Right? We were created to know God. 
That's why we exist. That is the purpose of life. And so many of you will know that the Westminster Catechism family states that the chief end of man, right, the reason we were created, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? We were created to know God. Our ability to have a relationship with God is why Jesus came in the first place, so that He could reconcile us to God as He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. Right? Knowing God is what it's all about. And so the problem that we face is how often our relationship with God gets, gets moved to the very bottom of our priority list. Right? Like, like Martha, we all have a tendency to get caught up in all of the different things that we have to do in life. And we neglect our relationship with the Lord, which is the one thing that really matters in the big picture. Now, I want to be careful because we don't want to create a, a false dichotomy here, as if to say that you can either do this or you can do that. I'm not trying to suggest that we should all become monks and, and go out and live in isolation from the world and all of the responsibilities that we have. Because the story has been taken to mean that in the past. But the truth is that we don't have to choose between spending time with the Lord and, and engaging in the different activities in our life. The point is that we need to prioritize our relationship with the Lord as we take care of the rest of our business. As we said back at the beginning, we're, we're all busy, right? Like Martha, we are distracted and anxious and troubled about many things. And the, the, the real problem comes in, in that as we're drowning in the throes of our busyness, we begin to see spending time cultivating our relationship with the Lord through the spiritual disciplines of reading our Bibles and spending time in prayer and participating in the life of the church as just other things on our to-do list. Right? They just become other things that we feel like we have to get done. And when we see them that way, they become a chore. They become something that if we get around to doing them at all, we begin to do them half-heartedly or even begrudgingly rather than seeing them as the path that leads us into the very point of life, the, the, the whole reason that we are here to begin with. And so to, to take the, to, from a slightly different angle, we could say that if we are seeing things accurately, then we have to realize that I am too busy not to pray. I'm too busy not to pray. I can't afford not to. I need to take time every day to express my dependency on the Lord and to ask His blessing on my day, and to seek wisdom for the things that I'm doing and the decisions that I'm making, right? I need to read my Bible, right? I, I've got so many things to do that if I don't focus my mind on the truth of God's Word, I'm, I'm going to end up getting off track, right? I'm so overwhelmed in life that I need the fellowship and, and the encouragement and the accountability of my brothers and sisters in the church, or I'm going to make a complete mess of things. All right, and in that sense, cultivating our spiritual lives to, to grow in our relationship with the Lord is a lot more like putting gas in our cars or, or putting food into our bodies. Yes, there, there are things that we need to do, but it's doing those things that will then enable us to do all of the other things that we need to do the way we need to do them. Now, having said that, I want to pause for just a moment to ask you to pray for me as your pastor. Because as I, I've studied this week, I couldn't help 
but, but seeing myself. You see, there, there's a, a very subtle danger in church leadership in, in that the vast majority of my personal to-do list is, is inherently spiritual things, right? And the danger is that, is that as I do those things, as I'm engaging in ministry, that it's, it's easy for me to assume that I must be cultivating my relationship with the Lord. That's not necessarily the case. And there, there have been times where I've found myself feeling so overwhelmed by everything that I need to do that, that I just get into survival mode. I'm just trying to, to check off everything on my to-do list. And I find that when I do that, I become disconnected from the Lord. I begin trying to operate in my own strength. And when that happens, nobody is, is helped. That's not helpful for anybody. Right, as much as anybody else, I need to cultivate my relationship with the Lord. And so please, as you pray for me as your pastor, please pray that the Lord will keep me mindful of the most important thing, that I'll engage my responsibilities out of a love for the Lord and not become preoccupied with just getting things done. Now, as we talk about this, we also don't want to create the impression that there's necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach to this. Right? The truth is that depending on who you are and what season of life you find yourself in, uh, this may look different for, for, for how you approach it. Right? A college student has a very different life from a working mom. Right? A, a shift worker has a very different life from someone who's retired. And so the person sitting next to you may have an hour that they can devote every day to cultivating their relationship with the Lord, and it's a struggle for you to eke out just 15 minutes. But that's okay. That's okay. In five years from now, you may have an hour, and they may only have 15 minutes. Right? But the point is that wherever you are in life, each of us needs to honestly wrestle with what this means for us in our particular situation. Right? If, don't, don't move past this too quickly. If the point of life is to know God, then how are you doing there? How is this expressed in your life? Where does it fall on your priorities? Of course, all of this conversation raises the question of, do you know God? Do you know God? I'm not asking if, if you believe in God in some abstract sense or that, that he's, he's out there somewhere, but do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Have you come to the point where you recognize your sin against God and the judgment it deserves? And have you responded to the good news of what Jesus has done to save us through his life, death, and resurrection by turning from your sin and placing all of your hope for salvation in him? Right, none of what we're talking about right now makes any sense otherwise. Right, you can't cultivate a relationship that you don't have. And if you realize this morning that you don't know God, I'd like you to know there is nothing that I would like more than to be able to talk with you about that. Friends, we were made to know God. And so as we go through life, whatever else we do, whatever else we may accomplish, if we are not in constant fellowship with the Lord, then we're missing it. We're missing it. If everything else gets checked off of our to-do list, but we've neglected our relationship with God in the process, then we're missing it. And we are, we are trading the better portion for alternatives that won't satisfy us in the long run. And so may we remember the one thing that is necessary. And may we prioritize knowing the Lord in our lives every day. Let's pray together.